Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. The treatment and prevention of ischemic stroke is complicated, but few clinicians jump right to pharmacogenomics and cytochrome P450 when designing a treatment regimen that includes a P2Y12 inhibitor like clopidogrel. Clopidogrel requires activation of CYP2C19 enzymes to carry out platelet inhibition, and the extent of that platelet inhibition is influenced by CYP metabolizer status. Knowing if your patient is a poor, an intermediate, normal, or even a rapid metabolizer phenotype is important. And knowing what to do for subsequent dosage adjustments for P2Y12 agents can be complicated. Here to make life simple when considering CYP2C19 polymorphisms and P2Y12 inhibitor selection for ischemic stroke treatment is Dr. Joanne Leal, a pharmacist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, I have chosen to speak with everyone regarding a pharmacogenomics topic, specifically the selection of a P2Y12 inhibitor when given a patient-specific pharmacogenomics information. So the reason I chose this topic is first, um, I find it very interesting to look into pharmacogenomics, and I feel like it's very pertinent for all of us, no matter where our practice might be. And despite many of us maybe not having um, to deal with pharmacogenomics on a regular basis in our patient care routine, I think there will probably be a point in time where we will be seeing it a lot more. So if I were to do maybe an informal poll of the audience online and in this room, and I were to ask each of you, how comfortable at this point would you feel interpreting a patient-specific pharmacogenomics report and using that information to create a treatment plan? Now, I'd probably take uh, kind of gotten a limb here and say that most of us would likely feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, making those type of decisions. And rest assured, I am also uncomfortable in this moment as well, but for different reasons. Um, so with that, today's discussion will be framed really with the patient case. I'll introduce that fairly early on. I'll begin by describing the different genotypes associated with CYP2C19, relating those to the phenotypes, and then we'll look at what that implication is for clopidogrel metabolism. Second, we'll use that information to analyze the available literature and evaluate outcomes in our clopidogrel and ticagrelor groups, looking at both pharmacodynamic and clinical outcomes. Then finally, we'll take all of that information and we'll use that to select a treatment plan that best suits our patient given pharmacogenomics information. So with that, I wanted to start off with a question. So HB is a 62-year-old female admitted for an acute ischemic stroke. The team wants to start clopidogrel 75 milligrams once daily with aspirin 81 milligrams once daily. So my question for all of you in the audience is, which of the following CYP2C19 polymorphisms can significantly decrease the metabolism of clopidogrel? Now, if you're new to Pharmacy Grand Rounds, you can visit pollev.com forward slash mayorx, 
or text MayoRx to 22333 once to join and then select your answer. And I will give everyone a heads up. We are not going to discuss the right answer right away, but my hope is by the end of the first objective, it'll be very clear which one of these we would um, not only have the most data for, but also uh, have the most concern regarding a decrease in metabolism of clopidogrel. All right, so I'm going to make note that the most common answer here is CYP2C19, star 17, star 17. So knowing today that we're going to focus on stroke, I'd like to introduce the pathophysiology of stroke. So the neurovasculature is comprised of two common carotid arteries that are responsible for supplying blood flow to the brain. And then there's the internal carotid artery, um, which is kind of after the bifurcation of the common carotid artery. The blood flow to the brain is responsible for supplying oxygenated blood to the brain. And the result of that is not only a support of the metabolic processes within the brain, but also the electrical activity. The most common place for atherosclerotic deposition within the neurovasculature is going to be in that internal carotid artery. And typically what happens is you'll have a plaque rupture of that atherosclerotic plaque. You'll have an inflammatory process um, that le then leads to embolism and ischemia uh, further down. While there is collateral vasculature that is able to support the blood flow and the metabolic processes within the brain for a short amount of time, the electrical signals um, are not supported. And therefore, if that uh, kind of ischemia were to be long lasting, it would eventually lead to tissue damage and cell death. So this pathophysiology may seem very uh, kind of familiar to everyone. It is very similar to the ACS population um, with the main difference being that embolic piece, um, the most common reason for ischemia in this population is gonna be embolism from a distant site. So keeping in mind that this is a similar uh, pathophysiology to ACS, we know that there is a very established role for our P2Y12 inhibitors with the ACS population. And we'll see that there is a role as well in our stroke population, specifically for ischemic stroke. So the way platelet aggregation works is we have ADP that works on our P2Y12 receptors, which then starts a kind of activation cascade that leads to platelet activation. The role of the P2Y12 inhibitor is to uh, directly bind to the ADP site on the P2Y12 receptor, and therefore can either permanently or reversibly inhibit that downstream activation of platelets. That can be done permanently or reversibly depending on the P2Y12 inhibitor selected. So hopefully some of you are noticing that I left out a very important piece of this illustration. And that piece is kind of the main topic for today. And that's going to be our friend CYP2C19. So the oral P2Y12 inhibitor clopidogrel requires activation via CYP2C19. And so we have this same process. We have ADP activation of the P2Y12 receptor or attempted activation. Clopidogrel is then metabolized via CYP2C19 to its active metabolite form, which then is able to act on the P2Y12, uh, P2Y12 receptor 
and inhibit downstream platelet activation. So it's important to note there are other oral PTY12 inhibitors available, specifically ticagalor, uh, which does not require CYP activation. And as we will see in a moment, that is one of the main reasons when we look at the primary literature associated with the ischemic stroke population, we're really just comparing clopidogrel and ticagalor um, to each other in these studies. And then uh, it's important to note prasigrel as well as a oral P2Y12 inhibitor. However, it is contraindicated in patients with previous stroke, so we will not see that discussed in the literature. Um, just for your awareness, it had increased uh, mortality associated with use in patients with a history of stroke. So CYP2C19 is a major metabolic pathway for the human body. It's not only responsible for the metabolism of clopidogrel, but also many common drug classes such as SSRIs and PPIs such as omeprazole. So when we talk about the different polymorphisms that are kind of available in CYP2C19, they're usually classified um, in these four different categories. Now, it's important to note that these are not the only categories that exist. If you were to look at the CPIC guidelines, which we will in a moment, you will see that there's actually more categories. But for the purposes of this discussion, um, these are the most important ones to know. For those of you who are a little bit uncomfortable with pharmacogenomics, I try to associate these with animals that kind of made sense to me as I think about their level of activity. So first, we have our ultra-rapid to rapid pheno uh, genotypes. Excuse me. So the first allele in this instance would be a star 17 allele, which we could associate with kind of the typical rabbit, right? So very fast activity. If we were to combine that with another star 17 allele, this would be considered a ultra rapid metabolizer. So um, you would have ultra rapid metabolism of clopidogrel. If you were to combine this with a star one allele or a wild type allele, this would be somebody with rapid metabolism. So normal is fairly straightforward. You'll see in that speedometer, um, what I call a speedometer anyways, uh, picture that it's kind of right there in the middle and that's where the wild type kind of sits. It's where normal metabolism would be. For intermediate metabolizers, when I think of a snail, I'm thinking of very, very slow movement, but definitely movement. So our star allele nines are associated with reduced activity. However, they do have some activity. And you can have many different combinations of the star allele nine with star 17 or a poor function. Um, the main takeaway here is just to know that the intermediate metabolizers do have a lower, lower than normal uh, level of clopidogrel metabolism. Then finally, we have our star two and star three alleles. Um, and I chose a sloth because I don't associate sloths with any movement at all. Um, and really that's the take home message here is that they have really significantly reduced activity. Um, so any combination, whether it's homozygous or heterozygous for star two and star three will be associated with de significantly decreased function. So let's put those all together. So based on what we know, Clopidogrel is metabolized via CYP2C19. So it's metabolized to an active metabolite. So that's the important part. Clopidogrel can't work unless it's metabolized. So if I have a person that is an ultra rapid metabolizer, meaning they have um, a higher than normal metabolism, we would expect an increase in the number of active metabolite that is available of clopidogrel. 
If a patient was a normal metabolizer, kind of the expected amount of active metabolite, and then for an intermediate metabolizer, a lower than expected. And then finally, our poor uh, function metabolizers will have extremely reduced active metabolite formation. The distribution of poor metabolizers is not equal across populations. The most common biogeographical populations that have poor metabolizers are going to be the Oceanian, East Asian, and Central South Asian. And for your reference, I've included countries here um, that comprise those populations. Now we'll soon notice that most of the studies have been done in these East Asian and Central South Asian populations. So it's easy to see why based on the kind of distribution of the poor metabolizers within that population. But I wanted to point out here that there are over, there are over 35 star alleles of CYP2C19 and we've only covered a handful, right? So those other star alleles are poor function, intermediate function, normal function. So just know that there are other populations such as the African-American or Afro-Caribbean who also have distribution of poor metabolizers and intermediate metabolizers. So my point being here is that it's important as we look at this literature to know that even though we're targeting certain populations and they have greater distributions of poor metabolizers, it is important to keep in mind that the external validity of our studies likely would apply to other um, populations. However, uh, they just haven't been as well studied. So with that, that brings me to my first question of the day. What would be the expected impact on active clopidogrel metabolite formation based on the patient's metabolizer status? And as a reminder, the patient was a poor metabolizer. All right, so I think that's kind of the number that we started with. So I'll go ahead and go through these. So question A says, or answer A says reduced active clopidogrel metabolite formation. So I would associate this more with an intermediate metabolizer rather than a poor metabolizer. If you can remember, intermediate metabolizers kind of have some activity, um, although it is reduced. For significantly reduced active clopidogrel metabolite formation, I definitely would associate this with uh, our poor metabolizers. So this is the correct answer. And then for our increased active clopidogrel metabolite formation, that would be associated with either our rapid or ultra rapid metabolizers. Very good. And then of course, I think normal is super straightforward. Um, just normal increased clopidogrel active metaboli metabolism would be our normal to uh, rapid metabolizers. So now that we know how clopidogrel is metabolized, we know how ticagrelor is not dependent on the CYP2C19 enzyme for activation, we can see why most of the literature is going to revolve around the comparison of clopidogrel and ticagrelor either separately or together. So I'd like to go through some of these studies that I felt most pertinent to share with you all um, to kind of highlight some key points. Um, largely, these outcomes are limited to pharmacodynamic outcomes, uh, since we are talking about pharmacogenomics. But with the addition of a recent study, we do have some uh, very robust clinical data to evaluate as well. So it's important to note that we do have CPIC guidelines or the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium uh, that provides us a guidelines regarding pharmacogenomics, and in this case, uh, regarding specifics to clopidogrel. 
I want to highlight the importance of this guideline, uh, just because this is the first time that CPIC has actually commented on neurovascular indications or ischemic stroke and the selection of an antiplatelet agent. So definitely, um, when this was published in February of 2022, um, it definitely got a lot of people's attention. So for the purposes of today's discussion, we won't really talk about our ultra rapid and normal metabolizers for the reason being, one, there's not a lot of literature uh, to suggest any changes in treatment plan with these two populations. And also uh, the recommendation for normal is just to continue at your standard dose. However, with our friends that have reduced active metabolite formation, we can see that the CPIC guidelines take a little bit softer uh, recommendation here to say consider an alternative P2Y12 inhibitor at standard dose if clinically indicated and no contraindication. But with our poor metabolizers, we see that they take a very harder stance to say avoid clopidogrel if possible and to consider an alternative P2Y12 inhibitor. We'll go through the literature that kind of uh, formed these recommendations from CPIC. So I wanted to start off with a trial timeline and looking at the differences in kind of where we started with our antiplatelet regimens and kind of where we are with our most recent trial. So in 2013, the recommendation from AHA and ASA guidelines was to do aspirin monotherapy in patients with ischemic stroke. I believe at that time they also recommended monotherapy with clopidogrel as an alternative as well. Our trials in 2016 and 2018, the chance and point trial, were very big trials in the ischemic stroke population for the reason that they proved the efficacy of clopidogrel plus aspirin versus aspirin alone in the ischemic stroke population. Now you'll notice um, little pictures here with a star that's simply depicting that they did have genetic, genetic subgroups that will be important for our discussion in just a moment. Then finally, we can't forget about Ticagalor. At the same time, Ticagalor was undergoing studies in both 2016 and then 2020 that looked at its uh, kind of efficacy against aspirin monotherapy. The most recent trial in 2020 did find that Ticagalor as a part of DAPT therapy with aspirin was superior to aspirin alone in uh, preventing ischemic events. Then we had the PRINCE trial in 2019, which was significant for being the first trial that looked at Ticagalor plus aspirin versus clopidogrel plus aspirin in the ischemic stroke population. So we'll take a deeper dive uh, into that trial in just a moment. In 2019, the recommendation from AHA and ASA changed from monotherapy to dual antiplatelet therapy with a definite influence from the point and chance trial that were very significant to those guidelines. Then finally, we have the CHANCE-2 trial. This is the latest trial that we had that was published in very late 2021 that provided us some clinical outcomes regarding different pharmacogenomics data and definitely uh, very robust data that we have to date. The first trial I'd like to look at was a meta-analysis in almost 5,000 people. They looked at stroke or TIA and different carriers of uh, CYP poor function alleles. The intervention here was clopidogrel in patients with a loss of function versus a non-loss of function allele. And they looked at stroke and composite vascular outcomes. And here, loss of function is simply uh, just kind of referencing those poor functional alleles, so star two or star three. So just noting that they have reduced clopidogrel activation. 
Of note, I mentioned this meta-analysis is from 2017. So it's important to note that a large uh, portion of this trial was comprised of those patients from the CHANCE trial. So that comprised approximately 31% of the trial population. Now, and I don't want anybody to get too distracted by the alleles listed here. Um, just know that, again, they're just poor function alleles. So when we looked at our loss of function carriers or patients that had decreased active metabolite formation versus patients that had normal metabolite formation, we can see both the composite outcome and the stroke outcome were worse in our loss of function carrier group. And those results were statistically significant, but there was no difference in the rate of bleeding. It's important to note that seven studies did not account for the star 17 allele. So looking at these results, how do these compare with what we've learned? So we know that clopidogrel requires activation to um, its active metabolite. And uh, looking at the non-loss of function carrier group, we know that this these patient population would have normal metabolism. So it makes sense that if we had a patient that didn't have as much active metabolite formation of clopidogrel versus the other group, they would have a worsening of clinical outcomes, which we see here in this trial. So big takeaways from the meta-analysis in 2017 were that there was an increased risk of ischemic events and stroke in our patients who had decreased clopidogrel metabolism and similar bleeding events. Some strengths of this trial was that it was a meta-analysis, so it had a very strong trial design. It's a very large population as well. And they did do a separate analysis, um, removing those chance participants. If you remember, they made up 31% of the original meta-analysis, um, and they found the sim similar results. So it did not change outcomes. And then limitations. Um, so as we know with meta-analysis, the data that we're accepting in and reviewing is kind of the kind of strength of the data that we'll get out. However, at this time, I believe it was appropriate because that's pretty much all the data they had were those smaller cohort studies. And then there was no standardization across those included studies uh, that looked at certain alleles across the board. So there's a lot of different variation with the alleles included. The next study I'd like to highlight is the point trial subgroup. This looked at a 932 uh, patient population with stroke or TIA. And they also included patients uh, with poor function alleles. They looked at clopidogrel plus aspirin versus aspirin alone in patients with loss of function versus non-loss of function alleles. The clinical outcomes they chose to look at were major ischemia and stroke. It's important to note that the point trial was a direct answer to the chance trial. So one of the big criticisms of the CHANCE trial was that it took place only in an Asian population, and they questioned the external validity of those results in a North American and European population. So when they designed this study, it was uh, designed exclusively for North America and Europe participation. It's important to note for that reason, they had very limited trial power. Um, they I think estimated that they need upwards of 4,000 people to have an 80% powered trial, um, and fortunately did not reach that. So as we look at the results for the clinical outcomes that they looked at, so major ischemic events and ischemic stroke, we can see that across phenotypes, and uh, based on some of the older nomenclature, extensive means normal. Um, but for our purposes, uh, just note that there was no 
difference between dual antiplatelet therapy and aspirin therapy when they did a subgroup of the point trial, which directly contraindicated the findings of the chance trial. And why is that? Well, it's the population they selected. Um, they only looked at patients in North America and Europe. And as we know, the largest concentration of poor metabolizers is in East Asian populations. Um, so likely they were very limited in the number of poor metabolizers that they did get for this trial. In fact, the number of poor metabolizers that were included in this trial were in the single digits. So just important to note. And definitely knowing that it was underpowered, we definitely, uh, although these results are um, interesting and we can take note of them, I think knowing that they're underpowered, um, we can't really be swayed one way or the other to make a decision based on these. I included this study for one reason. I think it really enforce, it reinforces the importance of population selection when we're looking at our um, clopidogrel and pharmacogenomics and how that relates. Next, we have the PRINCE trial from 2019. This included 675 patients that had acute minor stroke or transient ischemic attack. They also included patients that were poor, uh, had poor function and they looked at clopidogrel plus aspirin versus ticagrelor plus aspirin. And they had pharmacodynamic outcomes of proportion of patients with high platelet reactivity and high platelet reactivity at 90 days. And for our purposes, high platelet reactivity will be defined as resistance or non-responsiveness to antiplatelet agents. It's important to note in this initial analysis, they didn't divide up the groups by loss of function meaning um, they didn't look at kind of metabolizer status in this initial analysis. So 57.5% of the original population would be considered a loss of function carrier. As we can see in the primary outcome, uh, which was platelet reactivity units or PRU, at day zero, there was no difference between the ticagrelor and clopidogrel group. However, at 90 days, there was a statistically significant difference in platelet reaction units. So how does this align with what we know? So if you're uh, expecting clopidogrel to be activated and to inhibit platelet activation, then you would expect your reaction units to be very low. So what this is telling us is that uh, ticagrelor had a decrease in platelet activation associated with its use in comparison to clopidogrel. And um, here, just looking at how that compared when they looked at the groups by loss of function, we can see that the difference uh, really grew when they looked at it specifically by loss of function carriers. And again, we see there was no major difference in hemorrhagic events between the two groups. They did do a subgroup of this primary analysis that was specific to the loss of functional wheel carriers. So as you can see, they looked at not pharmacodynamic outcomes now, but clinical outcomes. And we can see that there was no statistically significant difference between the two groups when we look at stroke, composite vascular outcomes, or ischemic stroke. But keep in mind that this trial was not powered for clinical events. Um, so while the primary analysis did show a difference in those pharmacodynamic outcomes, there was no difference in the clinical outcomes associated with uh, the subgroup trial. Big takeaways from the PRINCE trial is that the clopidogrel group was associated with higher platelet reactivity. However, that subgroup that was not well-powered did not show a difference between the stroke groups, and there was no difference between ticagrelor and clopidogrel when it came to bleeding.
So my, um, my takeaway as well would be that the platelet activity reactivity outcomes align directly with what we would expect based on the phenotypes included, but the clinical outcomes were not powered enough to kind of determine a difference. And finally, we have the CHANCE-2 trial. This trial was published in late 2021, um, included a large number of patients, so approximately 6,400. They looked at patients with minor ischemic stroke or transient ischemic attack only it, with loss of function. So all of these patients had the STAR-2 and STAR-3 alleles. Now the intervention was clopidogrel plus aspirin versus ticagalor plus aspirin. The clinical outcomes included new stroke and severe or moderate bleeding within 90 days. So it's important to note um, that 98% of the study population belonged to the Han Chinese population. <clears throat> Excuse me. And 78% were considered intermediate metabolizers, and then 22 were considered, 22%, uh, excuse me, were considered poor metabolizers. So we look at the hazard ratio associated uh, between the two groups and the cumulative incidence of new stroke, which is their primary outcome. We can see that there was a statistically significant difference between the two groups. When they looked at the outcome of moderate or severe bleeding, um, there was no statistically significant difference between clopidogrel and ticagalor. However, when we looked at any bleeding, ticagalor did have a higher percentage of any bleeding associated with that at 5.3%. You might be asking what's the difference between any bleeding and major or moderate or severe, and it's mild bleeding. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. When we calculate the number needed to treat between uh, the two groups, so clopidogrel and ticagalor, the number needed to treat is 63. So definitely a very uh, substantial number. This was a subgroup analysis done, um, just to kind of orient everyone to this graph. So CA is clopidogrel plus aspirin and TA would be ticagalor plus aspirin. So still looking at the same two groups. And they looked at the outcomes based on metabolizer status. So my question would be, does this align with what we know? And yes, it does. So for patients who are poor metabolizers of clopidogrel, we would expect that they would have the least amount of active metabolite formation. So does it make sense that these patients that have, were given clopidogrel and had the least amount of active metabolite experienced the highest number of ischemic events? Yes. And I would say the same on the flip side as well for the ticagalor and aspirin and poor metabolizer group. So those patients benefited the most from having ticagalor versus clopidogrel. And although uh, these results were impressive, uh, the group, uh, the trial unfortunately was not powered for multiple comparisons. Uh, so it's kind of hypothesis generating, but no conclusions can be made based on these outcomes. So my key takeaways from the CHANCE-2 trial is that there was an increased risk of stroke in the clopidogrel group, but similar bleeding rates between the two groups. And just remember, ticagalor did have that increased risk of mild bleeding associated with that group. So the strengths of this trial or its trial design had a very robust population size as well. And it um, kind of included, it was very uniform in the amount of alleles that were included. And then limitations. Um, so it's always a conversation of, although we're targeting uh, the correct population with our poor metabolizers, um, the external validity of that to other populations is always in question. And then there were no adjustments for multiple comparisons, as I mentioned. So those secondary outcomes would just be considered hypothesis generating. 
So in summary, our meta-analysis from 2017 um, showed a higher risk of cerebrovascular or ischemic events in our loss of function carriers or in those patients who had very poor um, metabolite formation of clopidogrel, but no difference in bleeding events. In the PRINCE trial from 2019 that looked at clopidogrel versus ticagalur as a part of DAPT therapy, they found that platelet reactivity was higher in the carriers of loss of function alleles, but found no difference between the uh, clinical outcome of cerebrovascular or ischemic events. But remember in that trial, it was not power to detect clinical differences. And they also found no difference in major or minor hemorrhagic events. And finally, in our most robust clinical outcomes trial to date, um, CHANCE2, they did show a higher incidence of higher incidence of new stroke and clopidogrel um, with carriers of loss of functional alleles and no difference in severe or moderate bleeding. So with that, I'd like to ask everyone a question regarding the CHANCE2 trial. So which of the statements below most accurately reflects the outcomes of the CHANCE2 trial? Ticagalur showed a greater risk of severe bleeding when compared to clopidogrel in ultra-rapid metabolizers. B, ticagalur showed a significant decrease in new stroke at 30 and 90 days when compared to clopidogrel in loss of function carriers. Or C, clopidogrel showed a significant decrease in new stroke at 30 and 90 days. All right, so it looks like the majority of the audience chose B. I would definitely agree with you. So that was the primary outcome of our CHANCE2 trial. Just to call your attention back to the CPIC guidelines. So we went over the ultra rapid and normal metabolizers. But when we look at our reduced active metabolite group, you can see that there's reference to a standard dose um, kind of throughout the guidelines. This made me wonder, what evidence do we have to support dose escalation of clopidogrel in the ischemic stroke population? And I'd like to highlight just a few studies um, that give us some important information. There was a meta-analysis done in 2015 of a large number of patients, so approximately 11,000. And of note, this patient population was undergoing PCI and was treated according to the STAR-2 or poor function allele. The two groups um, they looked at were clopidogrel 150 milligrams in loss of function carriers versus non-loss of function carriers. And the primary outcome was platelet reactivity. What they found here was there was a statistically significant difference between the two groups. So despite the dose escalation to 150 milligrams, there was still a higher amount of platelet reactivity within that higher dose of clopidogrel. And for clinical outcomes or major adverse cardiac events, there was a statistically uh, significant difference in those outcomes as well in the higher dose clopidogrel group. So what's the main takeaway from this study? High-dose clopidogrel cannot, could not come uh, variable CYP2C19 phenotypes in this meta-analysis. In a study from 2016, we have a very small number of patients, so 333, and they looked at the coronary artery disease population. And they took an interesting uh, kind of trial design. They looked at varying clopidogrel doses by diabetes diagnosis, as well as CYP2C19 status. And their primary outcome as well was platelet reactivity. So to orient everyone to this graph, on the left you have platelet reactivity units with clopidogrel. And in patients who, let's just say they're normal, so they'd be considered, they don't have 
diabetes and they, they're not poor function, right? So they're able to metabolize clopidogrel normally. If we gave them a standard dose of clopidogrel, their platelet reactivity units would fall on the chart here in the very left-hand uh, column. If a patient had diabetes, they found that the um, higher dose of 150 milligrams would have to be given in order to equal that 75 milligram dose. And then for our patients with poor function or poor uh, active clopidogrel formation, they would have to be given 225 milligrams of clopidogrel daily to achieve a similar platelet reactivity unit. And then finally, if a patient had both diabetes and CYP2C19 poor function, they would have to be given upwards of 300 milligrams to reach a similar platelet reaction units. So before we all go out and increase the clopidogrel dose, um, limitations to this study are that it was just in cardiovascular disease and the outcomes again were limited to pharmacodynamics. So we have no data to support those, uh, kind of tying those to any clinical outcomes. But I think the inclusion of this trial was important for a few reasons. It kind of highlights the fact that metabolism is affected by many things, and it's not just genetics, right? So it can be affected by other medications, um, such as inducers or inhibitors, and it can also be affected by other disease states. So that's what I would like you to take away. We did have one superiority trial conducted in 2020 that looked at the ischemic stroke population. However, it was a very small number of patients. They looked at high-dose clopidogrel, considered 150 milligrams versus 75 milligrams daily. And what they found was that there was no statistically significant difference in vascular events, uh, either giving high-dose or normal-dose uh, clopidogrel. And they had no major bleeding events reported. So my takeaway from the dose escalation trials that we've briefly gone over is that most data regarding dose escalation is in the PCI population. So I'd be very hesitant to extrapolate this to our ischemic stroke population. And knowing that doses required to overcome variable clopidogrel efficacy uh, were greater than 300 milligrams in some of our population uh, that was considered a poor metabolizer. And we do have limited data to support dose escalation in intermediate metabolizers. It's important to note, like I said before, we all go out and increase clopidogrel doses that per the C22CPIC guidelines, their official recommendation is that there is not enough evidence to support a clopidogrel dose escalation strategy at this time. All right, so based on the patient's uh, pharmacogenomic information, select the best treatment plan. And as a reminder, the patient is a poor metabolizer. All right, so just to start going through these uh, answers. So init initiate clopidogrel 75 milligrams daily as monotherapy. So uh, for patients with poor metabolizer status, um, monotherapy, depending on the severity of ischemic stroke, um, would not be recommended. So dual antiplatelet therapy is preferred. So glad no one chose that. For the escalate dose to clopidogrel 300 milligrams daily plus aspirin, I'd be very hesitant to do that given the current data that we have in this ischemic stroke population, especially in someone who's a poor metabolizer, knowing that we'd likely have to go even above 300 milligrams to even get a similar um, kind of platelet reactivity that a standard dose would. And at that point, what risk are we putting our patients at of bleeding? So all very important considerations. And then again, I would not 
uh, escalate the dose in this case. So I do agree with everyone, um, which looks like the majority, that selected Ticagalor 90 twice daily plus aspirin. So what I'd like you to take away from today is that the evidence supporting decreased active clopidogrel metabolite formation and increased risk of platelet reactivity and ischemic events is in the intermediate and poor metabolizer group. So basically, we do have data supporting the fact that they form less active metabolite and that has been linked to, um, to clinical outcomes as well. Next, ticagalor should be considered preferentially in our patients who are known intermediate and poor metabolizers uh, due to the most recent results of that CHANCE-2 trial. And finally, for dose escalation, there is insufficient data to support a dose escalation strategy across different phenotypes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics. Thank you.